Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. But welcome everyone. I'm Dr. Travis Decker from Eglin Air Force Base, and today I'll be talking to my good friend, Dr. Brian Lau, coming from my residency alma mater of Duke University. Brian is a driven and very forward-thinking young mind, helping lead Duke into its next generation of influence in the sports medicine world. He's a young investigator taking on projects and writing grants on how to best care for our patients by safely returning them to play in a very thoughtful but also very deliberate manner. I recently had the privilege of being on the traveling fellowship with Dr. Lau and grew to appreciate his insight uh, and as well as his out-of-the-box thinking as he tackles complex uh, and dynamic problems common to sports orthopedic surgeons. Today, I'll be focusing on an article within Arthroscopy, Sports Medicine and Rehabilitation published in January of 2022 entitled Return to Sport After Shoulder Stabilization Procedures, a Criteria-Based Testing Continuum to Guide Rehabilitation and Inform Return to Play Decision-Making. Welcome to the podcast, Brian, as I'm excited and eager to learn and apply the lessons you've taken away from this study and add it to my own practice. Brian, congratulations on all of your very early career achievements and contributions, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Travis, for the introduction. I really appreciate it. And uh, it was great um, traveling with you and learning from you on the Traveling Fellowship as well. It's a great time. recommend that for anyone uh, and everyone. Uh, and it's also been great to see all the things that you've been doing. I mean, uh, with Anna and Somos, and uh, you're carrying that legacy of the military experience of Anna and arthroscopy. And so I really appreciate all you've done as well. I appreciate it, man. We'll, we'll dive right in. You began your article making a super interesting observation in that the patients with the highest risk of recurrence, as in those contact athletes, are typically those are the same patients with the highest highest expectations of return to full sport activities with no longer having to deal with instability as a problem. I do remember hearing time and time again at Duke that shared decision-making process by Dr. Taylor that he shared with his patients. Can you comment on why you think these patients typically have the highest expectations and then go through how you counsel them on deciding between non-operative versus operative management in the setting of shoulder instability? Sure, yeah. Uh, thanks, Travis. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think one of the biggest things is that a lot of these athletes with the highest expectations have the sense of in- invincibility. They feel they can do anything. They've obviously uh, accomplished a lot in their athletic careers, so these high-level athletes. And probably what makes them so successful in their sports is that they feel they're in- invincible and they really push the limits. Um, but having those same high expectations can really, you know, lead to the high expectations after surgery and have difficulties, you know, in terms of achieving some of those high expectations. I think some of the, the keys in, in dealing with these high-level athletes uh, or uh, high-performing um, individuals as, as with the military is depending on where they are in, in season. You know, so if they're in season, we generally try to rehab these back and if they're able to tolerate, you know, give them a little bit of rest, you know, a week or two and get their motion back, get their strength back and try to, you know, get them through the season as best you can, so depending on positions or sport using uh, things like a sully brace to help uh, restrict some of that abduction external rotation, um, but really trying to get them through the season. Now, if they've had multiple dislocations throughout the same season, uh, then, you know, we uh, would have a different discussion that maybe this is, isn't working if we've tried. But our goal is to get them through the season, to, to end the season, reassess kind of what their goals are. Are they a senior? Are they graduating? Are they going to be continuing to play? Uh, are they doing other recreational sports or other sports that they want to get back to that would be high risk? And so that's kind of how we deal with the, the seasons, you know, different sports here. And then the biggest thing is that they're recurrent. So they've had multiple dislocations and we're looking at their imaging and we see a lot of bone loss and difficulties and they're having a lot of apprehension on their exam. And we're going to be talking to them about surgery 
over non-operative management and discussing the risk and that if they were to continue to play and do the things they want to do, that they may, you know, have further dislocations and risking more bone loss. And, and the more bone loss you have, we know that the higher risk and, you know, that subsequent surgery may not be as straightforward. So it's kind of how we, we talk with them about, you know, whether to do surgery or not surgery. Well, super insightful and I think very practical as well, helping guide treatment, especially the in-season athlete, I think can be one of the most challenging things that we deal with uh, as team physicians. And of course, very methodical on how you've approached that. And I think that uh, reading further on is that your manuscript clearly brings up the point that time as the sole criteria of return to sport may not adequately return sport uh, athletes safely back to sport. Can you comment on this and why this remains such an important aspect of post-operative care, specifically uh, time-based approach? Yeah, I think that's a, it was a really interesting uh, observation that we had as we were reviewing the literature that in a lot of things of orthopedics, time is, you know, a, uh, a major factor and really a shoulder instability seemed to be the sole factor in a lot of things. Sakati. Uh, in the taper uh, systematic review uh, published in arthroscopy in 2018, went through 58 studies of shoulder instability and just tried to see what people were using. And what they found was that in close to 80% of uh, these studies, time was like the only factor that people were using to decide to return to play. And most of the time, that was six months. And, you know, it's kind of interesting, you know, if you think about athletes, and one, probably the most important question that we have is when are you going to be able to return to play? And for that very critical question, in terms of shoulder instability, we're really essentially using level five evidence. It's just based on what someone thought would be a good time point. And, you know, I think we can do better. Uh, and another thing that that study noted was that the most common things that people are even assessing to say you can get back is just strength and stability on your exam in the clinic. And they weren't even done objectively. They're mostly done subjectively. So they were just like, oh, they have full motion or near normal or good static stability was kind of the most common phrases that were used. And really, if you think about it, that's, you know, probably not good enough. Like, I think that when we're talking about high-level athletes and military uh, individuals trying to get back to really high-level activities, we can do a better job of making sure that they're safe to go back and that we're doing this at, a, at an appropriate time. In fact, there was a paper um, recently published in JCS by Drummer et al., where they said that using any kind of objective criteria, and they, they had a couple of tests that they used, but using their objective, any kind of criteria, and using that as a baseline, decrease the rate of recurrence of shoulder instability by, you know, almost five times, 4.85 times. So just having something you, you lean on to show objective evaluation and determination of return to play is better than just saying subjectively that they feel normal. Um, I think most of us who do shoulder instability patients can have full strength and good range of motion when you're seeing them in clinic, but really like how are they doing when they're, when they're being functionally pushed to the limits when they get a little uh, fatigued. Um, and so that's where I think that we saw there was an opportunity to you know, advance that and really kind of look at this more closely. Well, Brian, one thing that I really took away from you, especially from the, the traveling fellowship is, is that phrase, you know, I think we can do better. And I think asking these questions is extremely important. And being able to see articles like yours, and specifically, I think that the sister journal of arthroscopy does an amazing effort bridging that gap between surgery and rehabilitation to allow and uh, promote us to better counsel our patients. In your article, you described the, the 3P program. Can, can you go through that with us? And also, at what stage in the care process of your instability patients are you discussing this 3P program specifically? Sure, yeah. I think the, the 3P is what they stand for, are performance, practice, and play. And I think where this comes in is after they've had that 
return of strength and stability and trying to try to get them back to that high level activity. So that's when we're, we're imp- implementing this. So maybe at the, you know, generally speaking, it's around the four month period when they've cleared the general strength and range of motion and getting that back, uh, we will go through this three Ps. And, and it is what it is. So we're doing things that are related to the things we're trying to get back to. That's the performance part. So we're trying to get them back to what they're doing. So if they're overhead athletes or they're contact athletes, we're doing exercises and drills and training to mimic and reproduce the kind of things that they're going to try to get back to. The practice part is that you can't just do it a few times. You got to do it over weeks to really kind of retrain the shoulder, retrain the muscles around it, and regain that stamina and endurance. And then play is when you're getting back to play. And so now you've reached that level where you've got that uh, performance back and you've practiced it enough times term that's used a lot now and you hear a lot about like load management. So when you're returning them back to play, you clear them say you're cleared back to play. It doesn't necessarily mean they're playing a full football game anymore. Maybe they're playing half the time or a quarter of the time and they're slowly working their way back. Um, and that's the play part of it and really kind of following that kind of gradual thing back to make sure that it's not just their general stability, but their overall function of their shoulder and stability and their confidence in it has a chance to build, uh, which I think is probably the biggest, uh, one of the bigger things that we are trying to hone in on as well is the general confidence and psychological factors that come into um, play and when we're trying to return to sport. Well, Brian, that that's great. That leads into my next question because uh, the military and Dr. Tokish has really led the, the way with talking about uh, resiliency and their ability to cope with their injury along with having the psychological confidence uh, back in their shoulder. It seems to have a, a very large role in the prevention of recurrence. Can you comment on your findings along these lines specifically and additionally let us know if you're using any patient-reported outcomes currently in your practice to help guide your decision and allowing them to return to play? Yeah, and I think your your points are, are well taken in terms of them. I think there's greater and greater understanding that there's definitely a psychological factor in terms of safely returning to play. There's a lot more knowledge understanding the role of kinesiophobia, so the fear of you know basically having a re-injury. Um, I think anyone who's had a major injury can can speak to that and they get back to activities that, you know, the first few times you get back can be kind of nerve-wracking and, and kind of make yourself, but also your family members. And there are lots of parents who come in and say they're so nervous about their kids getting back to sport. So kinesiophobia as well as psychological readiness is, I think, a really key component of rehab, which we're trying to uh, focus in on and, and make sure that we that's the factor when we return patients back to play. And part of that is um, using the patient report outcomes, as you mentioned, um, the one that we find uh, very useful um, for instance, the shoulder instability return to sport index. Um, we also use the Curly Job Orthopedic Clinic shoulder and elbow score, the KJOC score, uh, which has been shown to have the ability to predict injury risk. So depending on your score level, uh, greater than 90 or 95 uh, on that scale can help predict uh, whether or not you're going to have a chance of having re-injury. We also use the WOSI uh, score, the Western Ontario Shoulder Instability Index score, as part of our return to sport batteries. That's a, a very commonly used uh, survey, and so we do incorporate that as well. Kind of thinking about the psychological, the first thing, as I mentioned, is kind of to make sure you get that strength and range of motion back. Then you start working on that, you know, that three Ps and try to build that psychological readiness um, through the amount of, you know, the practice and the, um, and the play part of it as you slowly gain back help get that confidence and really get that edge back um, that athletes really kind of talk about and need to get that peak performance. 
super in-depth analysis that you guys have gone through with this. And uh, one of the things that I found so fascinating about your manuscript was the pro- the protective differences postoperatively comparing upper and lower extremity surgery. Can you walk us through how rate of force and peak force differ in the rehabilitative uh, f- uh, phase and why this is important? Yeah, I think that uh, that was something that I, I learned as we we're putting this together and didn't probably didn't appreciate it at first. I was trying to hopefully help it make sense here. I mean, the the performance piece of it is, you know, during the three P's and you're trying to build back up to to full game readiness. And the basic range of motion and strength testing with, you know, clinic evaluation and handout dynamometer is good for that, but isn't really sensitive enough to pick up to the level of, of a performance strength and function. Uh, and in particular, like one, when we think about short instability, as, as, as we all mostly know, is that there are static and dynamic stabilizers. So static stabilizers being the labrum and the bone shape and the dynamic portion of it really being the muscles. So when we're thinking of like, you know, the the rate versus the peak. So peak is what the maximum is, how much. So if I were to give an example, like a maximum force, generally speaking, is 100 newtons that you can build from your shoulder. This is just made up numbers just off the top of my head here. But, but then the peak is how quickly you get to 100. So let's say it takes 100 newtons for your shoulder to dislocate and your peak muscle force is 120. So you're, once you get to peak, you're safely not going to dislocate. But if it takes you five seconds to get to 120, it doesn't matter that your peak muscle force is higher. They dislocate within you know, a few milliseconds. So you're not getting there fast enough. You got to get there faster. Uh, and that's kind of why the rate of um, force is also critically important, not just the peak. So you get the peak and maybe it takes you five seconds to get there, um, but it's just it's just taking too long, uh, which is why we think it's important to be looking at that and with why we're incorporating performance testing when we're thinking about return to play, because then we can get those numbers and really assess, you know, at that level when they're getting back into play, when they're trying to react to something, that's what you're talking about milliseconds, uh, whether something's going to dislocate or not, is, is, is if your body's ready for to get back to that and the muscle um, and the overall function and rehab has um, accomplished its goals. Well, I think that's a, a takeaway that probably a lot of us are going to learn from this article um, in, in terms of these rehabilitation differences and how uh, thoughtful it is to to think about the amount, of, just like you were going through, the amount of force that would be required to be both protective and preventative uh, to help decrease recurrences. Um, it, it's just a very interesting idea and I think could lead to, to future studies and how we can safely get people back. Going further down, you all notice, and I think this is becoming much more apparent in the literatures, uh, the difference between types and causes of anterior versus posterior instability mechanisms and in, in acuity. Can you discuss how you address these patients and do you rehab them differently? And what measures do you apply between these two separate populations to sep- uh, to safely return them to sport? Yeah, I think that that's, you know, kind of as we get to the later phases of the, of the three Ps, as you mentioned, this is where we start thinking about what is it exactly you're trying to get back to. And I think in in general, the key is to make sure you have a close relationship with uh, your therapist. Uh, if you're dealing with, for, our, for us here, luckily we have, uh, we, we deal with a lot of D1 athletes in our sports teams here at Duke, and we have very close relationships with the trainers who, um, and the trainers and a lot of our therapists here do have specializations. So we have people who are focused on certain sports, obviously the uh, athletic trainers working with the teams, are focused on the one or two teams that they're working with, whether that's soccer or football or basketball. Uh, they know that sport. So 
But even within our therapists here, they are also focused on certain sports. And generally, it's a sport that they've done before, so they understand the demands and the different psyche and, the, and timing of the seasons and all that stuff, too. So they know how to kind of incorporate that into their uh, rehabilitation. So that's probably the first layer of it, really kind of working that in uh, and addressing the different sports. How we assess them differently. So when we're getting to that three P's portion of it, we kind of do two main categories. It's the contact sports or the overhead sport athlete. And there are different exercises that we use to focus on and also different testing that we use to give that final clearance. So for our contact athletes, are you thinking similar to like an offensive lineman who's doing a lot of um, straight arm kind of blocking? It's We think of this more of like a closed chain activity where they're getting, um, and so we actually focus on a lot of closed chain activities and training and rehab during that period. And we use testing to test that closed chain to make sure that they're ready to go back. So a couple of the tests, uh, which we described in the in the paper, is a closed connect chain upper extremity stability test, the posterior shoulder endurance test, and then um, like a wide balance test. All of these are closed chain testing that we use for our contact athletes. In the overhead athlete, you know, if you think about it, it's really an open chain. So you're a throwing athlete, a javelin thrower, a baseball player, most classically, is open chain activities. So we're going to be open chain rehab and drills and uh, activities to get them back. And then when we test them and we're trying to give them that final clearance, we're also doing open chain testing to assess them. So we're, we're focusing on how we're training them, but also how we're assessing them based on these two uh, general categories. And obviously there's some, you know, when we talk about different drills, each sport is a little bit different, but we, this is how we generally ca- uh, classify them in the contact and overhead and focusing our rehab and our testing based on that in that final portion of their rehabilitation. Well, Brian, thanks once again. Thanks for joining us on the podcast and uh, taking time out of your busy schedule. It was a true uh, pleasure, and uh, I had a great time connecting with you over the Anna Traveling Fellowship and learning from you along the way. I greatly encourage any listener out there that's uh, that has considered it to to seek out that opportunity as you learn uh, more from your peers than anybody else. And Brian was a great example of that for me. As one one last takeaway for, uh, for us, could you take us through the general framework of how you're rehabbing your patients safely back to their respective sports? Sure. Yeah, I think that our first goal is kind of um, regaining the static strength and range of motion. So really, I, you know, early on, I think that and everyone, I think, does a good job of that and testing that in the clinic. We can we can have a general good idea of when they're good static strength and good range of motion is back to normal. Around the three or four month part, mark depending on uh how well they're doing with that it's when we begin our testing so we actually do our functional testing starting at that point which we tell our patients that they're most likely not going to pass that first time they take that test uh, because they haven't done it before and we're testing them to the level that we're trying to hope that they can get to to return to play but what it does is it gives us a baseline of kind of how well they are and what they need to work on including psychological readiness. So uh, that is part of that. We do that uh, every time we test them through these performance testing. And then, you know, once at that point, you know, around that same three, four month part, we're doing that first testing is when we're beginning the three P's portion of it. So the sports-specific strengthening, training, exercising, and testing. And we're testing them at that point, at four months and then at six months, we retest them after they've had the chance to go through some of that drills and exercises and rehab. And we're testing them again at six months. And then if they pass the testing at six months and they're cleared, and they're, that final P is that play portion where they have that load management as they're returning back to play. 
if they don't pass their test in six months, we generally take retesting them every one to two months, depending on the timing of the start of their season. Um, you know, so how quickly they need to get back. If they have the luxury of time, of course, we like to try to give them a little bit extra time to get back. Um, but if they're a little bit hurried, uh, it's because the season's coming in close, we'll retest them at a shorter interval. But we do want to make sure that they clear that testing, that objective criteria, not just um, subjectively patients saying that they're doing well. And we review this each time that we do that with the athletes, the coaches, and the trainers to make sure that everyone has an understanding of what progress is. They have numbers they can look at and what they need to get back to. Um, that was not just a field thing, that there's some numbers backing up what we're thinking about and why we're doing the different things. And then when we meet those criteria and we return to play, everyone can be on the same page and agreement as well as the athlete um, that it's safe to return to play and they can do it um, you know, with full confidence. Brian, can't thank you enough, man. Thanks, Travis, for inviting me. This was great. and happy to chat more with anyone that has questions and really appreciate all you're doing. I think this podcast is, is a great way to disseminate information and, um, edu- and for education. So thanks, Travis. This is Dr. Lau's arthroscopy and sports medicine and rehabilitation article that was published in January of 2022 entitled Return to Sport After Shoulder Stabilization Procedures, a criteria-based testing continuum to guide rehabilitation and inform return to play decision-making. This can currently be accessed at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. We thank you all for joining us and we hope you all have a fantastic evening. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal and are not meant to be treatment recommendations for individual patients.